This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. Welcome to episode 47 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen of washedupemo.com. Thank you for listening. This episode is sponsored by Epitaph Records and the new release from The World is a Beautiful Place and I'm No Longer Afraid to Die. The record is called Harmlessness on Epitaph Records. The band is The World is a Beautiful Place and I Am No Longer Afraid to Die. Check it out on Epitaph Records. Thank you for being our sponsor. This episode, Frank Turner again. Uh... He has a new record, Positive Songs for Negative People. He played three nights at Irving. And I saw him post about new metal. And I said, we got to talk about new metal. So we go into our little cheesy history and hope you enjoy. Is this full washed up email? And then, yes, of course it is. Oh, fuck yeah. Now you're not, no, you know, you're not, you're not emo, right? You know that. I, I've seen the, the, the website. <laughs> I've seen it. I don't know, I don't quite know how to feel about that. Why? Um, do, you want to, do you want to change the ruling? Um, can I challenge it? You can challenge the ruling. Well, I'll tell you what, can I do something else first, which is that um, the, we, don't, we do full band covers very rarely. The covers that I do is pretty much always just me doing it. But the last full band cover we did was Somebody to Love, but um, I recently announced that we're going to do a cover of Parking Lot. Get out. As a band. Are you going to record it? Probably, yeah. Actually, that's it. we did a Weekend Dance cover as well. Somebody to Love and the Weekend Dance. Which, which, which we're going to do? We did a plea from a cat named Matute. But I want to do a cover of Parking Lot. And, uh, yeah. Can I just do the... Do I just want to do that part. I saw them in LA the other day. It's fucking great. That's, I've seen it four times now since I got back I together. flew into LA on Friday, so I missed it by a day. Yeah, with Hum, who I'd never heard of. Get out. No, no, you know how to drag the river. True. <laughs> you know, no, Hum. Did play it? <clears throat> um, you know what, on the drive... Our state records didn't do anything? On the, the drive to the, um, 
to the show, my buddy Chris. Do you know Chris Trevorrow? Yes. Uh, yeah, Chris played me a bunch of Hum songs in the car. And aside from agreeing that it On was the, way. the most 90s thing I'd ever heard in my life, it didn't really do less for me. Hello, what's up, Emo? Welcome back. Or Tom, to your friends. Hello. Um, the last time, for anyone listening to this who doesn't know this, the last time that we did this, we overran our time slot by like an hour. We did. Um, because I was so excited to talk about all the music we were talking about. Because, I look at, I'm a little strange this, because I consider a lot of the sort of emo stuff that you've been covering to be a huge influence of both of my life and on the music that I make, and, and it's rare that anybody kind of spots that. Not that it's something that I'm trying to hide, but, you know, as I'm sure I said then, I really feel quite strongly that the way that I sing is trying to sound like Chris Simpson as some kind of formative part of my brain, you know, and um, it's a huge part of it. And the Get Up Kids, I still just basically play chords that Get Up Kids would play. Um, so, yeah, so that's a big deal. But now you ask me back. I asked you back because you were talking about new metal, and everybody's got a new metal face. I yeah well okay here's the thing on the last podcast I revealed a, a part of my musical history which I was proud to bring into the light. What we're dealing with now is a part of my musical history that I'm perhaps not proud to bring into the light. But it's interesting that people <coughs> mention emo like that. They're like, oh, when I was this, and then I'm not anymore. But, that, but this it, is ours. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, they're wrong about emo, but they're probably right about new metal. Let me, let me kick this off with a, with a story, which will blow your mind. I've, I've got a friend called Chris who I grew up with. He's, he's my oldest friend I've known since I was three. And he and I, you know, we got into Maiden together and then, like, Priest and Metallica and Slayer and stuff. And, you know, we were of a certain age. We were 13 in 1995 kind of thing. Um, anyway, uh, many years passed. We're still friends now. And I was at a party at his house, and somebody announced they were putting on a head pee record, right? And I was like... I don't fucking know any headpiece songs. And they put the record on, and in it, what was kind of a little bit like having a recovered memory kind of moment, yes. I knew all the words to the first album by Headpiece. And I have no memory of ever listening to Headpiece prior to this. What was it on? Was it on it was the radio on, too much? No, no, he just, he just put... No, I must have owned it at some point, and I've now blacked Headpiece out of my life. Um, Head Planet Earth, to give them their full name. Yes. Anyway, so... it to turns out correct. To be correct. It turns out I do have a new metal phase in my life. But I'm not over the moon about it. So what years was this? This was, well, I would like to, to throw in a, a, a kind of hipster vote for having been quite in on the beginning of New Metal. Because I remember, like, so we were listening to, like, Nirvana and we were listening to Pantera and Slayer. This me and Chris and um, our buddy Toby as well, who's actually in New York right now. Anyway, uh, and I remember Chris somehow got an advanced copy of the first Korn album before it was properly released in the UK. I think it was out over here, but it wasn't. He got in on import, basically. And this would have been like 94, 95, somewhere around there. So Perfect, we were, that's right, Tommy. The kid yeah. that I went to school with, he ran a <coughs> shitty zine. He had a promo of it. Right, same, yeah. So probably the same, same yeah, thing. Yeah, and I remember Chris sort of saying, they've got this really weird album that we should listen to. And it's a funny thing because I feel like in retrospect that album has been much maligned by history not least by the later history of the same band um, because again sorry I'm jumping around time wise here but like me and, me and my buddy Jamie were many in early studios this would be 2006 so like already a long time later we were kind of driving around and um, uh, we were in we were in like a gas station and there was a copy of the first call of like a pound on CD and we were like you know hilarious Let's get that. And we put it on, and it was like, actually, fuck me, this record is good. And, and I maintain that the first Korn record is good. It's dark as fuck. It's really odd. It's 
really uncommercial. And um, in fact, all of this kicked off with that. It was a Vice article, I think, that was basically... And the great line that I thought was the idea that if corn had come up in a slightly different musical context, they would be viewed as like Jesus lizard or something like or that. Faith No More or something. Yeah. But, but I mean, they're weirder than Faith No More to me. Like they, they, I think Jesus lizard is a really good shout, actually. That first record has a fair amount of Jesus lizard vibe to it. In the sense that it's just, it's kind of uncomfortable. It's got a weird, kind of slinky, sleazy kind of funk vibe. Heavy. And it's heavy as fuck. But it's it's heavy it in a really sounds good. It's heavy in an unconventional way. It hasn't they hadn't yet got what what I think the biggest crime of kind of the sort of new metal slash later pop emo crime was the fifty one fifty PV sound, which is that kind of like that kind of peanut butter. Everyone had a friend that got it <coughs> and they thought they were <laughs> shredded. And I was like, You're just noise. Yeah, well it's just it's a kind of like it's a fucking Casio keyboard electric guitar preset fucking sound and I hate it. And, um, and it doesn't have that at all and the bass sounds fucking weird and there's all these kind of really odd guitar lines in it and stuff and and, uh, and the production's really kind of raw and live and uncomfortable and some of the vocal, some of the lyrics are pretty cringeworthy now but some of them are pretty fucking intense you know um, so that was the first one that was the first new metal record that I got yeah and then at the same and at the same time I mean this isn't and I know that the UK was kind of a, about six months to a year behind the US on all this stuff but like and this being pre-internet, there was no inter- international immediacy. Yeah, it was kind of it was just a dumb thing. If you got the first Corn record, you got the first Deftones record. So yes. we had Adrenaline as well, which I still listen to now and still think is a great album. Yes. Um, this is where the shit gets dodgier though, because the next band that came along in terms, of, and this is not just for me, this is for all metal kids in the UK. The next band down the pipeline was Cold Chamber. Wow. Who were now, just, guys? I'm writing all these down because I haven't thought of them. In years, Cold Chamber was I play, fucking. Terrible. I played that record. I was a metal director at my college station. Right. So if anyone doesn't know that, I was a metal director. So I got all the shitty metal, black metal, everything. Please tell me that you have a business cousin with director of metal written on it, because if you don't, you need to make one. <laughs> or even just a T-shirt with director of metal written on it. This old thing. Anyway. No, it was a. Uh, I mean, I when I my first meeting with like. Uh, my first meeting with label reps, they were all looking for a guy in a trench coat and uh, black hair, because that's right. what I played. I was in an Earth Crisis windbreaker and X'd up. Amazing. You know, we played in Syracuse the other day, and I was sound checking with all the Earth Crisis reps I can remember, which turns out to be quite a few. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Cold Chamber was kind of yeah, like... Yeah, that was... that. Well, I felt that almost came from the UK, even though... Weren't they US-based? Yeah, they're from there. I like that. But they yeah. got big... Yeah, well, as is a well-trodden path for many bands historically, I mean, they're yeah. big in the UK before they got big in the US. But, like, I mean, I just I just remember that. I remember I was into it at the time, but in retrospect, that was kind of the moment where things started getting a little bit iffy to me. Like, just the kind of silly kind of dreads along the front of the head haircut, which, and the thing is, if I don't admit this on this, I'm going to get, e- you're going to get emails from people I grew up with. Um, yes, I briefly had a Des Fafra style haircut where I had a shaved head and I had a line of hair across the front which I'd made into shit dreadlocks. It was the worst Sartorial decision. That? 96, probably. 96. Um, the worst Sartorial decision I've ever made ever, and I'm not proud of it, and there are one or two photos, and I'm embarrassed by their existence. I wore Jenkos. Remember when baggy jeans was like the height of everything? And, yeah, fuck. And, like, you can't even put a finger in between my jeans now. I mean, it's so tight. Yours too. I've been trying to put my fingers in your jeans for a long time, Tom. Um, you heard it here first. But yeah, there was that. So I remember that came out. Why then, do Deftones get, get a pass? 
Because, okay, here's my theory on this. The Deftones are the Radiohead of new, new Metal. Okay. By which I mean Radiohead were kind of associated with Britpop, and you can, on the first couple of records, you can kind of see why, even though it's still not a 100% fit. But then they just blossomed into something completely unrelated and rose above where they came out of. And I feel the same way about the Deftones. By the time, I mean, Around the Fur is a monster of an album. By the time you get to White Pony, they've got nothing to do with New Metal essentially anymore. They're essentially, they're kind of like, Across between Tool and Depeche Mode by that point, you know what I mean, yeah. and 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 the whole, the whole like Adidas tracksuits and and then you know I mean Limp Bizkit, who I never liked, by the way, for the record I never liked Limp Bizkit. Fuck that man. What did the UK think of them? That's still big in the UK. It, 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 yeah, I know. You know what, my friend Derek I just shuddered. You know Derek from Fake Problems, Derek Perry. Yeah, yeah. Derek uses this as his argument with with winner with me. Every time we're arguing about anything, he goes, "Yeah, but you come from a country where the biscuit is still big," and I have to concede that he's right. Um, when was busted? When was oh, that? that was later. Because, that was later. Well, uh, fuck I'm it. jumping ahead. I'm no, sorry. you are jumping ahead because. Ben Dawson, who is a drummer in Million Dead and is the drummer in Mongolhoid, uh, was briefly auditioned to be the drummer in Busted and didn't get the role. And the reason he was auditioned is because Julia, who played bass in Million Dead, used to work for Universal. And so she was like their press girl or whatever, um, briefly. And then, so yeah, they were like looking for a punk looking drummer. She auditioned Ben because she was already playing Million Dead at the time and he got rejected for being too punk. So, and that is something that Ben <laughs> has to still have in his CV. Too punk for Busted. I mean, it's not exactly setting the bar high. It's not setting it high. But, but it's true. Um, then, but okay, so then the other thing that I, that I feel slightly doesn't quite fit in history metal was, was Marilyn Manson. And I maintain that um, Antichrist Superstar is a fucking good album. Actually, you know what? I was about to say I was ashamed of all this. Fuck that, man. There were some bad bands in there, but there were some really good bands too. I had to interview a few bad ones. Um, Spine Shank, do you remember that? Well, okay, that's the thing. You're now talking about like second wave because yeah, you know, yeah, Static yeah. X and like fucking. Um, Where does POD land? Oh, definitely second wave. Jesus, second wave. if not third, Christ, awful shit. I remember Marilyn Manson. I saw them in North Carolina, and we were driving because Helmet opened, and I wanted to see mm. Helmet. People threw Bibles at our car. When we were <laughs> driving in. We used to read about that shit in the UK in Kerrang! magazine, and that's why when I got my first religious picket in Norfolk, Virginia last year, when there were two slightly defeated-looking guys with a loudspeaker going, Frank Turner is Antichrist! Outside my show, I really felt like I'd had come of age, you know? Um, but yeah, yeah and, like, and looks down on you and says, oh, Yeah. Antichrist Superstar is still a fucking good album, and like, you know, Irresponsible Hate Anthem is, sort of fucking, is still a confrontational song, and that's what it set out to be. It's basically a Nine Inch Nails record with Brian Warner and vocals. Man. Yeah, yeah. Fuck it, who gives a shit? Uh, what other shitty ones? I'm trying to think of like other deep ones. Cold? Do you remember Cold? Singing Cold? No yes. Eyebrows. Yep. Yeah, I saw them play the Wedger Rooms in Portsmouth. They were terrible. Uh, yeah, Static X. You know what I love about Static X? Is His that hair? right? No, well, no. Was Wait, it? Didn't he die? No, no, no. The, the guitarist got busted. He got arrested for fucking a 15 year old. Hold on, this is all allegedly. Um, no, except I'm not sure it is. But anyway, it is, for the purpose of this podcast, allegedly. He got busted fucking a 15-year-old, and he was pretending to be an impersonator of himself on various web forums. He was like, I'm a dude who looks just like the guitar player from Static X. But he was. But he actually was a guitarist from Static X. And he was laying like a 15-year-old girl in statutory rape, obviously, and he went down for it. But what I love particularly is they then hired the dude who was in the band originally, who they kicked out to hire the new guy. Imagine how much power that guy wielded in the band <laughs> after that. He was like, what are we going to play tonight, guys? Are we going to play that one? Oh, no, that's one of the songs you wrote with the pedophile you kicked me out of the band for. <laughs> you know, that guy's going to be just like, oh, fuck you, dude. 
He's got so, he's that guy's like he's unassailable in the band at that point. Did Artifest come over? Uh, yeah, that or was, was that later. That I, it was a little later, I think. I mean, well, because that's the other thing is because there was still there was still metal happening when new metal went on, and there was this kind of weird kind of crossover kind of bit. You know, Pantera were a band who had remained one of my all-time favorite bands. We were never really affected by it. Machine Head, whose first record I, I still Machine think is Head. brilliant. Love that. Yeah, but what about the fucking Adidas tracksuit rapping new metal phase of Machine Head that was awful? First two. Yeah, I'm the in. third record, where he put on a fucking tracksuit and started rapping, and it was awful. But then weirdly, Roots, which by Sepultura, which at the time was castigated as being like a new metal sellout, go back and listen to that record. I don't, it's it got, sounds great. It's got nothing to do with new metal at all, for a start. It's produced by Ross Robinson, and that's it. And secondly, it's the best thing Sepultura ever did, hands fucking down. Sometimes I say, let freedom ring with a shotgun blast, and I realize that no one knows that I'm I'm. You know what, I can, I, you get me an electric guitar, I'll play that entire fucking song right now, Davidian. Although, it, I remember it was only years later that I figured out why the song was called Davidian. It was like, oh! Oh, okay. I, I never it. knew. Well, the Brunch Davidians, Waco. Yeah, burn my face to the concrete. But yeah, so there was that weird. There was because there was. Are you, you going to sound check with Davidian tonight? Uh, well, unfortunately, sound things were done. But tomorrow night, yeah, fuck yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, and I just it sort of all started getting a little kind of. Um, I'm trying to think. Your head P were pretty awful. You know, POD were a Christian band. Yes, payable on death. Fuck off. <laughs> and then, well, it's interesting you mentioned Helmet as well because Helmet and Faith No More are generally sort of. You like tarred with a brush of being the two bands that slightly kind of are responsible and for the And then Prong. Yeah, Prong's, uh, what is it, Snap Your Fingers, Snap, snap your, your Neck. Neck. That was a good song. I'm not sure I ever heard anything They were that sort Prong. of start-stop stuff, but that was, that was 92, that was Yeah, that was proto-new metal. Yeah. But it's weird, like, I mean, it, it's kind of, I'm not sure where the helmet deserved that. Were we, this is a question just because of age, because the bands you reference, we have sort of the same track, because it kind of went metal... New metal, po- hardcore. We kind of, kind of went in that track. Was it just because it was those years, and this, that is, that is this year's five seconds of summer, or God knows what? <laughs> I'm just trying, like, yeah, yeah. what is it? Because yeah. that was our age, and that think, corn think, record came. But I still feel like you could play that now, and it would still be big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, I don't know. Like, I th- what I, what that's the kind of thing I like about that first film record is that it's kind of. Bizarre that it was as successful as it was listening to it now. Mine was, was it six minutes? Was it five? I mean, it was yeah, a yeah. long song. And it's it's so unradio friendly. It's kind of ridiculous. Like, yeah. So I don't. Know. I mean, it is a function of age. I mean, for me personally, the thing was uh, concurrently with I was already into metal when new metal happened, and I'd also as I was getting into metal, I was also getting into No Effects, Offspring, Green Day, kind of thing, and the two ran parallel for a time, and then somewhere in the middle of all of it. Actually, oh, well, okay, here we go. We can link this all in. Because, remember Fear Factory? Yeah, hell yeah. D-Manufacture, D- because there was the Remanufacture was the remix album, right? Um, I had I had D-Manufacture, and which always had that, the bit that always made me laugh was that, um, with that bit where he goes, ha! on one of the songs. Which is just like, They what? were fucking great. They were they were pretty good. Dino? D- Dino Cazares and Cliff, no, no Burton, uh, Burton C. Bell. Burton C. C. Bell. Bell, that was his name. Um, yeah, they were, that record was heavy. And I kind of liked how industrial it was because I've always had a bit of a taste for like the skinny puppy end of the end. I used to send and kind of thing. There was a vibe of that, but they they covered um, "Your Mistake" by Agnostic Front, and that was the first hardcore song I ever heard. Really, and the was, Fear Factory cover? Yeah, the Fear Factory. Well, because basically, again, pre-internet, like um, 
someone somewhere told me that I should check out hardcore because I liked punk and I liked metal and hardcore was 50-50 of each which obviously isn't strictly true but still close um, enough yeah close enough and, and, I, and I kind of Oh yeah, I had like I had like a Biohazard. I had State of the World Address by Biohazard, which I, I like that record. I I still like it. Really? I have a friend and I. We can still play it in the car, and we're, no one says a word. Okay, I'm, I I was never that taken with it because it was a little bit too kind of New New York for my for my t- English taste. Um, I mean, I kind of respect Biohazard, but it was a bit weird for me. But um, but yeah, I heard that Agnostic Front cover, and then I went to see Agnostic Front on the 18th of December 1997. Hybrid which is a huge deal. But then the other, the other one was um, sick of it all uh, because I remember there was this TV show in the UK, check this shit out, called Noisy Mothers. And there was only five channels in the UK at the time, right? And Which one was this on? This was on, well, there was a show called Noisy Mothers. It was on, I think it was on like Channel 4, but it was on at 3 a.m. on like a Wednesday. But this was back in the day when you had VHSs where you typed in like this 12-digit code and it automatically stopped and started recording at the time. And in the TV listings, there would be a number underneath yeah, yeah, the shows. Yeah. yeah, so I used to time code um, noisy Mothers and one time they showed the video for Scratch the Surface and I loved it and I sick of all still like New York way up there for yeah me. yeah this is now very loud <laughs> we are in New York Beans on Toast just started playing New Metal is funny because it like it got taken over by um, money essentially and it got it's almost it's it's a it's an example of the major labels fucking a genre almost so ridiculously, like so over the top how bad it went. If you look, listen to the first one album and then look at photos on like on the third record, it's just like what the fuck happened to this band, man? Yeah, they're just throwing paint at them. Yeah, and it just and then you know like chocolate starfish, really like you know if you would go from really quite dark fucked up records about alienation to a song called chocolate starfish. Yeah, something, yeah. something happened in the interim that wasn't good. But I'll still, I, I still put on a corn record every now and again. I know, and look, I've been getting... Yes, it's a, it's a phase and we went through it and we were able to talk about it. Yes. High five. Cool. <laughs> Are you ready? Boy, that was a lot of fun, I have to admit. That was super, super rad to have Frank on and uh, talking about and admitting that we both listened to new Metal and were able to talk about it. So uh, thank you to Frank Turner. Uh, his album is called Positive Songs for Negative People. It came out uh, recently, and uh, you should check it out. And also, I want to thank our sponsor, Epitaph Records. You make this possible. Uh, it's sponsored by the band The World is a Beautiful Place and I'm No Longer Afraid to Die. And the album is called Harmlessness. I think this is the first time that those words were said over corn. Maybe. Maybe. I could be wrong. Thank you for listening. Uh, reach out to me, washedupemo.com, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr. It's all there for you to remember the past. So reach out, be in touch, and I'll see you next time.